The cleric is a devout follower of a deity and is so favored by that divine being that they gain magical powers. They could be a devotee to that deity or a common person that's been chosen for greater things. How exactly these magical powers work depends a lot on the deity itself, which means a cleric can be anything from the cheerful healer of a benevolent god or a battle-crazed berserker of a blood god. Hopefully by the end of this video you know where you stand between those two options. Unlike warlocks that make packs with powerful beings, clerics are gifted their powers by their devotion, their actions, and their willingness to fulfill their destiny in the name of their holy benefactor. This all shakes out into a very powerful class that mechanically can fit any role you'd care to play. Healing, tanking, DPS of both the melee and ranged flavors, even scouting and playing the party face. Basically, if you want to play it, there is a mold for your cleric in order to make that happen. Each cleric's god usually has a major impact on that character's personality, and even more than other classes, no two clerics are alike. Before we get into all the builds and options that we have available, we should go through the class mechanics and class abilities that define the cleric. Starting with, of course, cleric spellcasting. Clerics are primarily spellcasters, and you'll need to get a hang of your spells, even if your main tactic is going to be swinging a sword around. Starting off simply, as a cleric your spellcasting ability is Wisdom, which means your spell attack modifiers and spell save DC is based on your Wisdom modifier. The higher your Wisdom is, the better the attack bonus to your spell attacks will be, and the more difficult it will be to resist your effects. You're also what's called a prepared spellcaster, which can take some getting used to. Your cleric has a list of spells and knows every spell on the cleric spell list. The trick is that you have to pick and choose which spells you'll be using at the start of the day. Every time you finish a long rest, you'll get to pick out a number of cleric spells to have prepared equal to your wisdom modifier plus your cleric level. That's how you pick out which spells you have available, so how does casting them work? You also have a thing called spell slots, which you can think of as bullets or fuel that you load into your different spells to fire them as a resource. Your total amount of ammo is determined by your cleric levels, and you get all your ammo back when you finish a long rest. So let's say I'm a 3rd level cleric and I prepare the 1st level cleric spell, Guiding Bolt. Since Guiding Bolt is a spell I prepared, I just load one into my 1st level spell slots and pull the trigger. I hope that analogy has kept some of you guys on track here. Or if I'm facing something really nasty, I could load in a spicier 2nd level spell slot and fire it off and do even more damage. You don't use up a prepared spell when you cast it, you only use up the spell slot. You can prepare different spells every time you finish a long rest, and just like other spellcasting classes, you also have a few cleric cantrips, or level 0 spells, that don't take any spell slots to cast. You also can't prepare spells with a higher level than the spell slots you have, which makes sense. Remember though that your holy symbol can replace the material component of a spell, but it doesn't replace the somatic components, so you'll need to keep at least one hand free to cast most spells. Somatic components are all the magical hand gestures and general showboating involved in a lot of spells. You'll also be getting, most likely, a set of domain spells. The cleric archetypes are called divine domains, and most of them have lists of spells that are added to your list of prepared spells for free. You also have to load in your spell slots to use them, but you get to have them prepared in addition to all your other spells, which is especially nice as some of them come from other spell lists. Clerics also get a special feature called ritual casting which allows you to cast certain ritual spells without spending a spell slot if you take a long time to cast them. Most ritual spells aren't things you'd usually want to use in combat, but casting them as a ritual makes sure that you can't cast them in combat, as it takes 10 or more minutes to cast them that way. 
what this effectively does is it allows you to cast some role-playing and investigation type spells without it affecting your combat effectiveness, which is a major bonus. Finally, you'll be doing all of this with something called a holy symbol. Usually a holy symbol is the icon of your deity, but it can be anything really so long as it's associated with your god. Holy symbols function near identically to an arcane focus, and your holy symbol is essentially just the cool thing you hold up as your spells go off. Starting at second level, you gain access to divine energy that can be used to channel divinity. This outpouring of positive energy, or possibly negative energy, can be used in two different ways. The first way to use this special ability is the generic one that every cleric gets to use called Turn Undead. You basically fire off a ton of divine power, and undead creatures within 30 feet of you have to make a wisdom saving throw. If they fail, they gain a special condition called Turned, which is like frightened, only worse. And they have to spend their entire next turn getting as far away from you as they can. The second way to use Channel Divinity is determined by your cleric archetype or divine domain, and we'll get into that later, but your access to magic is themed around your god. Your uses of Channel Divinity get restored in a short rest, and if they need a saving throw, they use your spellcasting DC. For the most part, you'll be using the mode from your Divine Domain, unless your DM is throwing a ton of undead your way for some reason. You start with only one use of your Channel Divinity, but you get more times per day as you go on, and some class feature redundancy. You'll pick up an additional time per day of your Channel Divinity at 6th level, and then strangely another use all the way up at 18th level for a total of 3 times per day. At 5th level, you continue the theme of Clerics Beat Undead, and your turn Undead Channel Divinity power gets enhanced to just completely destroy Undead if they fail the saving throw. Assuming they're below a challenge rating threshold, that is. You gain this feature at 5th level, at which your turn will destroy Undead of challenge rating half or lower, which improves the challenge rating 1 at 8th level and challenge rating 2 at 11th level, challenge rating 3 at 14th, and challenge rating 4 at 18th level. The whole feature is honestly kind of a legacy thing, and you'll very rarely see it come up in campaigns. However, if your DM is creating a horror story or throwing a lot of low-level undead your way, like a zombie horde sort of deal, remember that you have this feature to blast away a lot of them, and especially at later levels, it can be way more effective. And then we have Divine Intervention. Once you hit 10th level, you can literally ask your god for a favor. You simply roll a percentile dice, that's both d10s to get a result between 1 and 100, and if you roll equal to or lower than your cleric level, your god does you a favor. Of all the class features in 5e, this is probably one of the most open-ended and dependent on DM discretion, but if your DM is kind and a little bit on the cool side, it can be incredibly powerful. I find that most DMs will be particularly lenient if you ask for things that are in your god's sort of thematic nature, So asking your god of charity and goodness to murder the guards is probably not going to go over well for a multitude of reasons, though asking the same thing of the god of death might yield the results you want. And the actual level of this interaction can range from events serendipitously happening in your favor to a Monty Python-style god caricature appearing in the sky and just, you know, doing the thing. Finally, your big capstone feature at 20th level lets you automatically succeed on getting your god's favor with the Divine Intervention class feature, No Role Required. And I'm sure you guys can see from that alone why some DMs have trouble running level 20 uh, sessions and campaigns. In Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, every class got a set of optional features that act like a sort of upgrade patch to fix issues and improve things that needed improving. So while everybody else is stuck in the past, you can harness the futuristic powers of a new book installment. These features are technically optional, but assuming your DM allows them, make sure to include them as these class features are, well, some would consider pretty essential. 
such as additional cleric spells. In Tasha's and some of the other later books, we've gotten some new cleric spells to the list, and a few that they decided should have been on the spells list all along. Especially as prepared casters, this all just serves to put even more tools in your pocket. And the spells up on screen here are now on the cleric spell list, and yeah, some of these just feel like they should have been in there from the start. At second level, right along with your channel divinity feature, you get a new divinity power. As a bonus action, you can use your channel divinity to recover a spell slot at a spell level no higher than half your proficiency bonus rounded up. A free first or second level spell may not seem like much, but having an essential spell reserve is a major boost to your utility, especially if you picked a domain with meh divinity power. And then with cantrip versatility, just like basically every other class with cantrips, Tasha's gave you the ability to swap out a cantrip for another cantrip whenever you gain an ability score increase. It's not a huge power boost or anything, but it's nice to have the ability to retrain something that was previously hard locked in. And then with Blessed Strikes, every Cleric Domain gets one of two features that grants bonus damage at 8th level, either Divine Strike or Potent Spellcasting. Now with Tasha's, you have the option to replace either of those with a third option called Blessed Strikes that deals additional damage. Blessed Strikes lets you deal 1d8 additional radiant damage whenever you hit a target with a weapon attack or cantrip, and you can only do this once each turn. Note that this only works on weapons and cantrips, so no non-weapon sources of damage really apply here. This ends up being a happy middle ground in a lot of situations, as it lets you deal extra damage if you had potent spellcasting, but we're focusing on weapons attacks. And it lets you deal extra damage with your spells if your domain had Divine Strike. However, if your domain was in line with your playstyle, the original features are admittedly a lot better than this. Consider taking Blessed Strikes only when you're playing a domain against its intended playstyle. Now let's get into the real thick of this video building a better cleric. It feels like everybody hated playing the Heelbot cleric in the past, well, most people at least, and they've just been slowly growing what a cleric is really capable of. Now clerics can be built up into practically anything, making excellent tanks, damage dealers, utility casters, party buffers, and yes, healers. With just a little work, clerics can do the work of any of the spellcasting or fighter classes. To start with though, you'll need to address your ability scores. Wisdom is your spellcasting ability score, and you're going to want your wisdom to be as high as possible, if not your highest stat. Past that, it gets more complicated because of all the routes you can take when building your cleric. Most of it revolves around what armor you plan on taking, and if you plan on being a combat cleric or more of a spellcasting cleric. Strength, dexterity, and constitution are all in the running here for your second highest ability score. Choose Constitution for survivability, or decent amounts of damage choose Strength for larger weapons and Dexterity for the smaller ones, or ranged weapons. If you end up with heavy armor, more on that in a second, you'll most likely want to make Constitution your next highest ability score. If you're relying on light or medium armor, Dexterity should be your next highest. And finally, while not all builds will want it, some of the more combat-oriented cleric builds will still want Strength as their next highest score. In any case, none of these physical scores should be your dump stats and should at least be neutral 10s. You don't need large amounts of charisma or intelligence, as both charisma and intelligence are largely useless for you than the other, especially when compared to the other ability checks, and you should put as few points into them as possible, uh, unless you plan on being the face or something like that. When it comes to playable races, you can choose any one you want. Uh, they should all work pretty fine, but if you're trying to optimize, you'll want something that has a particularly high wisdom and a buff to one of the three physical ability scores, depending on what type of cleric you're trying to build at least. 
The races up on screen gain either a plus two bonus to wisdom or a plus one bonus to wisdom and a plus two bonus to a physical score, making them optimal choices for a cleric character. My personal favorite cleric build involves the Kenku, so I'd like to hear what you guys have to say on that topic, as you guys always come up with way more interesting answers than the optimized build. At level one, clerics will choose what domain they'll specialize in, which can have a lot of role-playing depth beyond these subclass features, making clerics an interesting class for role-playing purposes. Where an awkward warlock gets a cool patron that grants them powers, clerics get a generous sponsor that's divine rather than just edgy. While the plane shift of settings may be different, these domains typically fall to a god in each pantheon, and each domain description is fairly wide with countless deities that can fall into those categories. For instance, the gods of knowledge in the Faron campaign could be Thoth, Ogma, or Arion. These domain descriptions are largely thematic rather than specific to particular gods, so you should be able to play any cleric subclass in any campaign setting, from basic fantasy settings to strange settings of any culture shift. Each domain is given access to a list of cleric domain spells from many spell lists, including some wizard spells, which are always considered prepared. You gain two of these spells at first level, third level, fifth level, seventh level, and ninth level. Almost every domain also gets one of two features at eighth level, Divine Strike, which adds 1d8 bonus damage, which later increases to 2d8 bonus damage, to your weapon attacks. Or Potent Spellcasting, which adds a damage bonus to your cantrips equal to your Wisdom modifier. These 8th level features go a long way towards specializing you towards melee or blaster spellcasting, really, and you should choose accordingly. Putting it all together, these domains act as your subclass, but a subclass that dominates more than half of the class features your character will gain. Pick your subclass wisely, as it will have even more impact on your character's playstyle than most subclasses, granting features at 1st, 2nd, 6th, 8th, and the final capstone feature at 17th level cleric. The Arcana Domain is the domain you take if you want your cleric to dip their toes into the wizardry side of things. Mechanically, it gets additional wizard cantrips, and a lot of the iconic wizard spells like Magic Missile get added to your spell list of cleric spells. Gaining wizard cantrips gives you access to the melee attack cantrips as well, like Green Flame Blade and Booming Blade, making it sneakily one of the stronger melee cleric options. It's also one of the most absolutely best anti-magic class archetypes. You get to dispel any nasty effects your enemies have cast on you or your allies with the healing spells you were already using. If you were looking for an arcane shotgun of DPS, you'll be disappointed, but it's a great way to get your cleric involved in those counterspell fights. A death domain cleric aligns with the forces of, well, death to become a spooky damage dealer with a focus on melee strikes and adding bonus damage to your necrotic damage cantrips like Chill Touch and Toll the Dead. One of the better options for a DPS melee cleric with strong damage spells all throughout its domain spell list. It's also a fair healing or utility caster since your regular damage can come from necrotic damage cantrips, and you can save your spell slots for healing or other utility options. The Forge domain is easily the best of the defensive options for tanky clerics with some proper arcane armor and magic items. Between the Blessing of the Forge and Soul of the Forge abilities, a Forge domain cleric can gain plus 2 AC on top of heavy armor. Start with one of the races that has a built-in plus one AC like Warforged or Simic Hybrid, put on some plate armor and add on a magical item shield, and your full casting cleric can have 23 AC as early as level 6. Then just cast Shield of Faith to walk around the dungeon with a cool 25 AC. And why not have some free fire damage resistance as a cherry on top. Other than the tanky aspect, you basically get to turn your weapon into basic magic weapons with a damage and attack bonus. 
and you get some utility out of your channel divinity option, which lets you craft a non-magical object. Combined with your arcane armor and magical weapon, the forge grants a touch of artificer feel in... Well, I think that's just pretty great. Another cleric we've talked about on this channel is the Grave Domain. This domain description of the Grave Domain sounds a lot like the spooky necromancer cleric option, but it's really, as I've said before, the opposite. You gain a bunch of the abilities that are great for keeping your allies alive, and a couple of bits of anti-undead tech, and even some sneaky DPS boosts to your cantrips. Putting it all together, the Grave Cleric is an ideal pick if your priority as a cleric is to keep your friends, perhaps counterintuitively to the name, alive. The Knowledge Domain is what you take if you want your cleric to have a little bit of bard in them, as it grants you some extra skill expertise, bonus proficiencies, and a bunch of utility spells with your proficiency bonus doubled for a couple skills of your choice. The Knowledge of the Ages feature gives you a skill or tool proficiency at a moment's notice, wrapping up a lot of situational options into one. Consider the Knowledge Domain if you want a cleric build that focuses on utility, divination magic, skill proficiency, and the role-playing pillar of adventuring. With the Life Domain, healing, healing, and, and healing is what goes into this domain. Almost every feature you gain from the Life Domain gives you more opportunities to heal or makes your healing effects just a lot better. On the other hand, the Light Domain is a decent option for a DPS cleric that can be far more survivable even without the heavy armor due to its warding flare ability that can impose disadvantage on attack rolls. The Domain spells also oddly include some of the best fire damage spells from the Arcane spell list, making this strangely one of the best offensive options for more of the pyromaniac-minded clerics as you burn your enemies with magical light. The magical light damage potential falls off quite a bit in later levels, though, as the Radiance of Dawn ability doesn't scale up terribly well. The Nature Domain, on a more peaceful note, lets you make friends with animals like a druid, but doesn't actually gain a whole lot. Their Channel Divinity lets you charm animals and plants, which is cute, but it's very situational. I don't recommend this domain unless you've got a very specific wonky exploit that requires tiny friendly creatures because they're very situational spells otherwise. It's also strangely punchy for the druid style theme with heavy armor proficiency and divine strikes, but if you're going for straight melee there are definitely better options. Don't let me turn you away from this domain if it fits the role-playing capacity of what your character is, but just mechanically you're not going to get as much as you would want. The Order Domain is something that lets you grant reaction attacks to your allies when you buff or heal them, and combined with the charming effect from the Order's Demand feature, you can easily take control over the battlefield. Your counter-argument to any situation is simply no, and you'll be able to shut down the worst of the chaos around you with friendly control abilities. You also uniquely get to deal Psychic Damage with one of your Divine Strikes, and Psychic Damage is one of the least resisted damage types. Best built with a lot of ally buff spells, this domain is one of the best options for a control cleric. I know I said the nature domain was on a more peaceful note, but now on a literally more peace-related note, the peace domain. Annoyances between friends happen, and if settling character arguments is something that you consider yourself good at, or in the fantasy world you consider yourself good at, the peace domain may be for you. It sort of builds in a lot of the buffing and healing spells as features rather than making you use up spells. With Channel Divinity, Balm of Peace option is a respectable heal, it lets you dash basically without taking opportunity attacks, and when you hit 6th level you gain an ability to swap places with one of your allies and essentially take their hits for them. Valuable for the healing Channel Divinity power alone, and a very strong option if you want to try and play your cleric primarily as a healer tank or as a diplomat trying to solve conflict without hostile action or by preventing incoming damage. 
With the Tempest Domain, you call upon the natural energy of a Storm Deity to rain down thunder damage and lightning damage. The core of the Tempest Cleric is the Wrath of the Storm feature that lets you deal a good chunk of damage to anything that attacks you, and both thunder damage and lightning damage are fairly reliable damage types, particularly with the next feature channel divinity, Destructive Wrath. The Destructive Wrath feature lets you spend your channels to maximize lightning or thunder damage, which happens after hits so you can even use it to maximize critical hits. The domain spells also grant access to Sleet Storm and Call Lightning, though frustratingly not Lightning Bolt. Making this domain one of the very few ways to gain this powerhouse spell outside of druid levels. And at the top of the Tempest Domain spell list, you pick up Destructive Wave, a powerful 5th level spell normally only found on the Paladin spell list. With the Channel Divinity, Destructive Wrath feature combined with heavy armor proficiency, this domain works wonders for tank DPS builds looking to shrug off hits and dish out a lot of lightning damage. One of my personal favorites, the Trickery Domain, this domain lets you dip your cleric into a bit of a rogue with Illusory Double. You gain clone illusions that you can control as separate creatures that can be used for all sorts of devious tricks alongside a ton of illusion and escape abilities like the ability to turn invisible. It gets incredibly insane with your 17th level capstone where you get four illusory clones. This is one of the best options for utility, sneaky clerics, and you can get up to some of the truly most creative shenanigans using your illusory doubles. If you really can't think of any cool ways to take advantage of that ability, I don't know that a video this long is even really going to help you. You wouldn't think it at first, but the Twilight Domain Cleric wields the power of Night, making the Twilight Domain Cleric a healing cleric option so long as you've got a lot of dim light or darkness around. The Twilight Domain Cleric feature Twilight Sanctuary ability sets up a shared benefit mobile area of healing in the form of temporary hit points for you and your allies that also lets you remove the charmed or frightened condition. The Twilight Cleric's Eyes of Night feature also gives you and your party the shared benefit of super dark vision and seeing in darkness as if it were dim light and dim light as if it were bright light at 300 feet away, which is a pretty big bonus. Steps of Night grants you a flight of speed for a minute so long as you're in dim light or darkness, and the Vigilant Blessing feature grants you or an ally advantage on initiative checks, which makes Vigilant Blessing a huge initiative bonus. On top of that, some of the Twilight Domain spells are quite powerful and normally unavailable to clerics like Greater Invisibility or Circle of Power that can grant advantage on saving throws. Lastly, your Twilight Shroud Capstone feature gives your whole party half cover. It all works together to make the Twilight Cleric great at both healing and sneaking your party around in dim light or darkness with dark vision. And then with the Unity Domain, this is a solid option as it provides an insane amount of buffing power to your Cleric, and the sharing damage potential of the Protective Bond ability can all but ensure you and your party stay up and fighting and doing your best impression of the Monty Python Black Knight. Consider taking this with a high constitution race, prioritizing hit points, and turning yourself into a walking bag of health to spread among your allies when they need it. Is two references to Monty Python too much for one video? Then we have the War Domain. The War Cleric is very simple and a solid choice. It wants to hit the enemy and hit it hard for maximum damage by blasting spells alongside weapon attacks. The War Priest ability is especially powerful at early levels, and you can dish out a ton of damage with the extra attacks, and eventually even more with Divine Strike. The Channel Divinity here, Guided Strike, lets you spend your channels to add a whopping plus 10 bonus to attack rolls. Consider multiclassing with a few Paladin levels or Fighter classes to push your damage further with some smites. The Cleric class has access to a little bit of everything, and between all the options at their disposal, every Cleric is going to be unique. 
there's no right way to build your cleric, and you shouldn't worry about casting a bad spell. But there are a few key tactics, favorite spells, and powerful options you may want to try. And in turn, a few build options that really help support those tactics and make the best use of your divine energy. While clerics don't have to spend the entire game healing out of range of enemies anymore, they're still one of the best built for dedicated healing available in 5e D&D. To understand how to use that healing energy and keep your friends alive, you'll need to understand the fundamental healing spells available to you that are more than just first level spell Cure Wounds. Speaking of which, let's talk about Cure Wounds. This is your bread and butter healing spell that you'll be using from level 1 all the way up to level 20. As an action, you touch somebody and can heal them for 1d8 plus your wisdom modifier and add another 1d8 for each spell slot level above first. For the most part, if you're in the middle of a fight and somebody needs healing, this is the spell you'll be firing off a lot. Healing Word, on the other hand, is your emergency button. The healing spell you only use when things are really bad. It heals half as much as Cure Wounds with 1d4 plus your wisdom modifier, adding another 1d4 for each spell level above first. The big difference is rather than an action at touch range, it's a bonus action at a target within 60 feet. This is a huge deal as it means you can do an important action like make an attack or dash away and heal your ally on the other side of the battlefield. Most often you'll be using this in a panic situation where a few hit points is kind of the difference between life and death. Now with Prayer of Healing, this is your out of combat heal. The spell you'll want to use when you're safe but still gearing up for the next threat that could be around the corner. It heals up to six characters, which is usually the whole party, for 2d8 plus your wisdom modifier, which even for a second level spell is a massive upgrade from the other options. The kicker is the 10 minute casting time. With such a long casting time, this infinitely stronger healing spell is impossible to use effectively in the middle of combat, but is ideal when things have calmed down. And then with the aid spell, this is an often overlooked gem. It's a second level spell that can increase the hit point maximum for multiple creatures. It lasts 8 hours and doesn't require concentration, making it an excellent party heal or buff option for clerics, especially at later levels when your second level spell slots aren't as scarce. And then with heal, at the cost of a 6 level spell slot, you just directly heal a target within 60 feet of you for 70 hit points. This is a significantly better healing rate than cure wounds, it just comes at a much higher resource cost. It's a solid option if you can afford a 6 level spell slot resource cost, but Keep the spell in mind for when you're fighting the big bad evil guy as opposed to just some dudes. Lesser Restoration is proof that not all healing in the game comes in the form of straight HP. Sometimes your unlucky melee ally gets hit with something like blindness and they're looking to regain the use of their eyes. Lesser Restoration is a worthwhile resource commitment and between a four-person party I guarantee you'll run into spell hazards or monsters that inflict some of the conditions this spell fixes. For just a second level spell slot, you can end the blinded condition, deafened, paralyzed, or poisoned condition. And then with true resurrection, as a ninth level spell, you really won't be able to access this until the top of your spell slot progression all the way at 17th level, but keep this spell in mind for the end of your campaigns, as true resurrection literally brings the dead back from the grave for the low cost of an hour's ritual and 25,000 GP in diamonds. Which is a lot. But if your campaign does reach the point where you're casting a ninth level spell, uh, consider stockpiling diamonds to prepare for that resource cost. And if you're at that high of a level, it might not be that hard to save that much. Finally, if you're truly committed to being the party heal bot, uh, like a lot of clerics of D&D's past, just consider the life domain. It's, well, it's built completely around healing, and while it's a bit dull, it definitely gets the job done.
Now on to the topic of cleric tanking. Paladins take the traditional role of divine tank, but when you're getting munched by bloodthirsty cannibals, the clerics can do the job just fine. Step one is acquiring heavy armor proficiency, which is happily provided by quite a few of the divine domains, including the Forge, Nature, Order, Tempest, Twilight, and the War domains. Any of these will let you ditch the chainmail for heavier armors, but the Forge domain especially is the most tanky that you can get. By level 6, a Forge Cleric with plate armor and a shield can get 22 AC. Tanking can be more about just AC, though. It's about taking the hits and making sure your party is protected, and clerics have a whole swath of spells that do just that. Keeping on topic, protection from good and evil is a spell that I think gets overlooked a lot, but if you're trying to tank the big bad guy, there's a good chance this will be amazing. You'd think it works off alignment somehow, but what it actually does is impose disadvantage on attacks coming at you from specific creature types. If your DM has thrown an Aberration, a Celestial, Elemental, Fey, Fiend, or Undead at you, this spell can impose disadvantage on their attacks and deal with Charm, Fear, and Possession effects for basically the whole fight. It really is a situational spell, but if you have the preparation time for the right situations, you'll be happy that you have it. Now with Shield of Faith, remember how I said you could get 22 AC? How does 24 AC sound? It costs you an additional first level spell slot and your concentration, but this spell just gives you a flat plus 2 AC bonus for the duration of 10 minutes. Not to be confused with the regular shield spell, which works a little bit differently. Plus 2 AC when you're already pushing the edge can make you downright unhittable in some combat situations. I find myself using it less at later levels, but in the early game it can be a pretty tanky godsend. Now let's talk about protection from energy. Are your party plans to fight a fire-breathing dragon at some point, or do you just suspect your DM might throw that at you at some point? It doesn't take a lot of research to learn there may be some fire damage breath weapons coming your way. Elemental damage includes some of the most common damage types, and many enemies are completely themed around a single energy damage type. This third level spell takes advantage of themed enemies by granting you resistance to a chosen damage type for a whole hour. So, most of a dungeon and a typical boss fight. It's technically a bit of a situational spell, but usually you'll have the forewarning to prepare it only when you need it, so keep the spell in mind. Now let's talk about Cleric DPS. The Arcane Caster and Psy Warrior may get the spotlight when it comes to magical damage, but you've got a ton of offensive options for dishing it out using divine magic in your spells and some good old-fashioned face bashing with a martial weapon. Every cleric starts out with a simple weapon proficiency and a medium armor proficiency, but you've got plenty of options to improve that and you can swing a berserker axe just as well as you can lob spells. If your plan is to do some melee DPS as a cleric, taking the war domain is an excellent start. The war priest ability lets you make an additional weapon attack as a bonus action whenever you use the attack action, even if it's some huge weapon like a maul or a battle axe. War is probably the strongest and most straightforward pick for melee clerics, but any of the domains that pick up martial weapons and divine strike death, forge, life, nature, order, tempest, trickery, twilight, and war are fine choices for those extra damage increases with your melee attacks. And if your party plans still include blaster casting, the cleric spell list still has you covered. You have a fine retinue of touch spells if you're willing to get your hands dirty from time to time, and great ranged options if you want to snipe from afar. Starting with Guiding Bolt, more or less unique to the Cleric spell list, this is an excellent offensive option. It's a first level direct damage spell with a long 120 foot range and a whopping 4d6 radiant damage. It also grants advantage on the next attack made against your target, so you'll help focus down a tough foe even faster. And then with Spiritual Weapon, this lets you conjure a floating martial weapon and for the next minute, you'll be able to bop enemies with it as a bonus action. 
In a lot of situations, Spiritual Weapon adds a huge boost to your damage potential and uses bonus actions, which would, in many cases, go unused, making it a consistent source of bonus damage. Spiritual Weapon is a bonus action spell that doesn't even require concentration. You can be blasting away with spells, concentrating on another powerful damage spell, and have this dishing out extra hits all along the way. Spiritual Weapon should be one of your primary sources of damage for any serious combat and should always be in consideration for offensive options. And then with Spirit Guardian, this third level spell is quite possibly your best option for concentration spells and can completely ruin a combat for your enemies. You basically surround yourself with a 15-foot aura of pain that ignores you and your allies while punishing anybody who gets near you. It lasts for 10 minutes, has a 15-foot wide area of effect damage aura, and any enemies will have to save or take 3d8 radiant damage or necrotic damage every single round. This is an amazing crowd control option, and if you have a lot of enemies, this damage really stacks up as one of the most efficient damage spells in the game. You have a real weapon in Spirit Guardians. And then with the Magic Initiate feat, this grants you two extra cantrips from another spellcasting class, which is admittedly a strange choice considering clerics are already full of spells to choose from, but Magic Initiate can grant you easy access to some key wizard cantrips, like Green Flame Blade and Booming Blade. And then with Warcaster, as a tip for any cleric who's planning on getting into the thick of combat, consider using an ability score improvement to take the Warcaster feat. It gives you advantage on concentration checks to maintain your spells, it lets you cast all of your stuff with weapons in hand, and even lets you tag creatures with your spells as attacks of opportunity. Some of your most powerful spells require concentration, and keeping those sources of damage up throughout their spell durations can be essential. Guardian of Faith is a weird one, but it's a solid option for 4th level spells. At the cost of a 4th level spell slot, you get to ward a small area with a spooky guardian that smacks any of your enemies that get close. It has a very strange wording that just flatly does 20 damage or 10 on a failed save, and automatically vanishes once it deals 60 damage. 60 damage is comparable to a 4th level fireball hitting two enemies. So if you're confident that your enemies will swarm your area, uh, definitely go with this. Now on to Flame Strike. Base clerics don't get a lot of elemental spells, but at a 5th level spell slot they finally get something familiar. Think of Flame Strike as a slightly weaker but far more concentrated fireball. As elemental spells go, it's doing far less damage for the spell slot, but you can target it into a tighter space and can almost hit any of your enemies without hitting your allies which I'm told is a good advantage. Now on to the Cleric Party buff. When you're not healing or blasting, clerics have access to some of the best force multiplying spells that can make your party doubly effective. They can use your intelligence saving moves in clever ways, or you can hoard those buff spells for yourself and channel your magic into being a doubly buffed frontline fighter. The Resistance Cantrip is often overlooked as a bad spell, but when exploring, a quick cast of Resistance can greatly improve your ally's chance of surviving the next trap or hazard. You touch a friend in melee range, and if they have to make a saving throw in the next minute, you grant them an extra d4 on their save. It costs you nothing other than the cantrip slot, but basically every time your rogue tries to disarm a trap, or your fighter boldly goes into a suspicious door, you, you might want might to use this. With Bless, think of this as an upgraded version of Resistance. Instead of a cantrip, it's a first level spell, and instead of one ally, it's up to three. Oh, and that d4 doesn't get used up after the first roll, and it can be used on attack rolls. Beacon of Hope is another spell that's often overlooked, and this third level spell is a solid option that creates a shining beacon that gives you and your allies advantage on wisdom saving throws and death throws within 30 feet and maximizes, instead of rolling it's the maximum, any healing you or your allies get. The key here is that it's any healing, not just healing you do. 
So you can plop this down and go about your combat while everybody else's healing abilities within 30 feet get overcharged. And then one of my favorite things in all of D&D, Commune. At the low cost of a 5th level spell slot, you basically get to ask your god, or rather the DM, three yes or no questions and receive an accurate answer. <sighs> go at it, everybody. For those of you that wanted a longer cleric guide, of which I know there were a few of you, I hope this has satiated your thirst for divine knowledge. Uh, I don't really have much more to add. Thank you guys so much for watching this rather lengthy video. I really appreciate it. Be sure to like and subscribe because we put out new videos like this every week. If you're going to be building a cleric sometime in the near future, I would love to hear about your character down in the comments. Or if you have any great stories about some of your best cleric characters, I would love to hear those as well. My name is Patrick Ferguson from Skull Splitter Dice, and until next time, farewell.